I'm going to invite you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide now, where you'll find the scriptures on which the sermon this morning is based. Uh, This fall, we're kicking off a a new series, uh, which asks, what are we doing here? (laughs) Uh, When you come to church here on Sunday mornings, when we gather together during the week and we do churchy stuff, what, what are we doing? Uh, our, our normal sermon diet, as you notice as you look at the back middle portion, is normally we, we're going through a book uh, or a letter or a section of scripture slowly, just piece by piece, which is great. It's nice. I don't have to do any thinking with it. It's just kind of like, where, am I, where are we in Luke? Okay, this section. Very good. But you can see uh, what we're doing right now is we're, we're going to be bouncing around the Bible uh, you know, a little bit more than we normally do. And we're going to look at particular themes that we find in the scriptures. We're going to be grouping different texts together more thematically. Don't worry, we'll return to our regular broadcasting schedule soon. But this is what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. I'm calling the, the, this next four-part series, uh, What Are We Doing When We Blank? So this week, we're going to be asking the question, What are we doing when we worship? What are we doing when we worship? I'll turn your attention now to the scriptures and I'll read for us. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 4. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Matthew 28, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And then Acts 2, verses 37 through 42, on the day of Pentecost, uh, weeks after Jesus' ascension into heaven. Now, when they heard this message from Peter, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us again. Father, we ask now for your presence and your wisdom that you would open our, uh, our eyes so that we can see wonderful things in your word. Uh, God, would you, um, would you bless us as we uh, listen to all that you have to say to us today? And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Again, the question for this morning is, what are we doing when we worship? 
What do you think that you're up to on Sunday mornings when you get out of bed? Are you attending a weekly seminar that is oddly punctuated with singing with the same group of friends? Are you going to a spiritual salon where you get to receive some sort of a spiritual glow up uh, for the week ahead? Are you coming to pay some sort of religious due? It's a weekly obligation. You've got it in your calendar and you'll feel awful if you don't come. What are we doing? What are you doing when you come to church on Sunday to worship? Well, there are actually, there are several really good pictures that the Bible gives to help us conceptualize what's going on here. But one good picture, one, one vision that I want us to have as a church as we enter into worship is this. We're being invited into a feast by God Almighty. We're to eat in his presence and among his people. In worship, God himself prepares a weekly meal for his people. He sends out invitations. He welcomes everyone to come to this meal. So what are we doing in worship at Christ Church Halifax? This is what we're doing. We're hearing God's invitation. We're responding to it faithfully. And then we're together joining the feast. And that'll be our outline for the sermon this morning. So this is part one. We hear God's invitation. We hear God's invitation. In all the texts that we were looking at, Matthew 22, 28, Acts 2, uh, there's an invitation that's being made from God to people. In the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 22, you can see it there, God is being pictured as a great king who extends a warm invitation to a, a, a huge wedding feast in honor of his son, and he does this by first sending out invitations through his servants. This, this parable that Jesus is telling is actually uh, the story of God's historic interactions with the people of Israel thousands of years before the coming of Christ, uh, where God would over and over again send out prophets to the people of Israel to invite them to worship him, to know him, to be with him. In Matthew 28, we see another invitation. Jesus sends out his disciples to go and make disciples of the nations, to bring those who are far from Christ close to make worshipers of all the nations. In Acts chapter 2, we see the apostles doing exactly what they've been commanded. They announce God's invitation of forgiveness and welcome through Jesus to anyone who will hear. Listen, worship always begins with the initiation and the invitation of God Almighty. We come to worship, this is like a precondition of worship, we come to worship not because we're a bunch of like smart, spiritually insightful people, because we figure things out and, and those people out there, they just haven't, they haven't, things haven't clicked for them yet. Wish they were a bit sharper like we are. No. We're worshipers. We're only worshipers because God first took the initiative and invited us. Jesus says this in, in John 6. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him. Or as uh, the Apostle John writes, we love because he first loved us. Christian worship, worship in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit ought to reveal that God is fundamentally a gracious and inviting host. That's who he is. He loves to open wide his doors to invite people in to the feast. As someone once said, Christianity is unique among, among religions because it's not a come and see religion. It's a go and tell religion. It's, it's a faith of invitation. I want you to notice two things about the way that, uh, about the delivery of God's invitation to worship. This is the first thing. The delivery of the invitation actually belongs to the church. The delivery of this invitation into worship belongs to the church. This is the job God gives to the church. In Matthew 22, we see the king sends servants out with the invitation. 
And again, in this parable, they represent, in particular, God's prophets in the Old Testament. In Matthew 28, in Acts 2, Jesus sends out his disciples in his name, in his power. Uh, he represents, they represent Jesus uh, to invite others to him. God invites, certainly, but he commissions his servants, commissions his church to deliver the invitation. God's invitation to Halifax, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, will not be beamed directly into their minds and hearts from God Almighty. That's not the way he's chosen to deliver the invitation. He's chosen you. As Jesus says in Matthew 28, he is with us in this work. He is present with us by the power of his spirit to give us both courage and boldness and, and fitting, timely words. But if the church doesn't go, the invitation will not be delivered. So hear this, the invitation to the feast, the delivery of it, it belongs to the church. It belongs to you. This job isn't reserved for me, for pastors, for the extroverts among you. It's the mission of the entire church. This is from the very beginning. Back in ancient Israel to the time of Jesus' own disciples, down through the ages, God continues to send his people to invite people. And those people who respond to the invitation, they in turn go out to invite more people. This invitation is spread everywhere. We are here today worshiping Christ in the year 20, whatever we are in, 2022, 23, I don't even know what's going on. Uh, not because there was one or two amazing people who spread this news, but because of the work of the church scattered everywhere, praying, supporting, and laboring to this end, that the invitation would go far and wide to all peoples. So listen, the first aspect of the invitation is that the delivery of it, it belongs to the church. But second, the second aspect of it is that the content of the invitation belongs to God. The content of the invitation belongs to God. The invitation that you carry to others is valuable only insofar as it contains God's own words. In Matthew 22, the king gives his servants the content of the invitation. If you look at verse 4, he gives his servants instructions. Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The servants don't make up the message. They just deliver what the king says. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples the content of their invitation. In verse 20, he says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. I want you to say to them what I've said to you. In Acts 2, you see Peter doing exactly that. He's basically parroting the message that Jesus had his entire earthly ministry. Verse 38, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. This is Jesus' message. So listen, your task, our task as the church, are not to be God's PR department. Where we receive the invitation from Jesus, we look at it, and then we wonder, how can I improve on this? Like, how can I, how can I make God's word more palatable to the people I'm delivering it to? Sometimes maybe you've read through the scriptures and you're like, man, there, there are some difficult things to swallow here, some rough things. How can I smooth things out in this message? How can I, how can I edit it so perhaps it's easier to receive by people? Listen, the content of the invitation is not to be directed or shaped according to what's fashionable or acceptable to the people we're delivering it to. We're called to give it straight. We're, we're, we're not permitted to white out portions of God's invitation that we don't personally prefer or we think uh, will not be well received. We are simply messengers. We are delivery people. And so while we are, in fact, called to deliver the invitation, the content of it belongs to God. So what does that actually mean, you know, practically for our worship here at Christ Church Halifax? What are we doing when we worship here? Well, a couple things. One, 
we begin our worship services with a call to worship. Usually just, just pulled directly from the scriptures. Every week, we hear God's invitation together, delivered typically by me, or Ben, or somebody else who's leading the liturgy. And we are inviting everyone who hears to come. We're, we're reminding them there is a feast being prepared by God Almighty himself, and you're invited. God himself invites you, so come. This also means that at Christ Church, you'll hear us emphasizing over and over again, reminding ourselves that we have been invited so that we can learn as a church to be inviters. We are invited by God so that we can be trained and sent and equipped to go and invite others. We're given a job to do, whether that's inviting people to worship here, to the Gospel of Mark study, which we do, even you know, to the barbecue after the service. We want to be a church that's filled with inviters and initiators because that's what God himself is like. Do you think people who visit our church, who come here on a Sunday, your neighbors, can tell that you serve and worship a welcoming God, an inviting God? Another practical consequence of this is that our aim uh, for all of our service is that everything is according to the scriptures. That what God says, what he teaches us to practice and worship, uh, is what we do. We're intentionally not trying to be innovative in our messages, or in our delivery on Sundays. Everything that happens in our worship, hopefully everything that I'm speaking to you now, we should be able to point into God's word and say, we're just saying, we're just doing what God himself has instructed his people to do. So what are we doing when we worship? What's going on on Sundays? Well, first, we hear God's invitation. We hear God's invitation. And second, second part two, we respond faithfully. We hear God's invitation, part two, we respond faithfully. Many people, even in the text that we were reading, reject the invitation of Jesus. They respond to this invitation in unfaithful ways. So some reject the invitation because they find it offensive. The invitation of Jesus is fundamentally to repent of sin, to trust in him, and be forgiven. Because th this is the content of the invitation. Jesus comes to people and he says, your sin has made you filthy, but I will wash you clean. You, you've made a shipwreck of your life, but I have come to make you whole. You can't feed yourself or satisfy yourself despite your best efforts. So come to my table and finally be fed. Self-righteous people hate this kind of invitation. They don't want to admit their faults and their weaknesses and their sin. They can't humble themselves enough to come, to respond. Some people reject the invitation of Jesus because they think it'll ruin their life, uh, that this will require too much of them. It'll mean a total change of the way they understand their work and their free time, the way they use money and sex and power. It might mean no more Sunday brunches, <laughs> no more being the king or queen of my own life. I'll have to actually have to swear loyalty uh, to another. Still others reject the invitation of Jesus because of just trained uh, unbelief. Either they can't believe or they don't want to believe the invitation. The idea of worshiping or feasting with, with God the creator, the sustainer of all things, it sounds silly, sounds fanciful, sounds mythic, old-fashioned. And if they became that kind of person, it definitely would not be the road to social and professional advancement. In Matthew 22, if you look at it there, Jesus says the recipients of this king's generous invitation to a great feast, they just would not come to the feast. The parable actually goes on, if you read verses 5 and 6, where some reasons are given why they didn't come. Uh, the people who received the invitation of the servants, uh, Matthew 22 goes on, they paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the king's servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The food was all laid out. Everything was prepared. 
but they wouldn't respond. Some of them even hurt or killed the inviters. So yes, this is a reality. Some people respond to the invitation negatively. But this isn't always the case. For millions and millions of people across the globe, over thousands of years, God's invitation expressed lovingly and clearly and boldly by the power of the Spirit, by those who are inviting them, it is received uh, with tears, with welcome for those who hear it. Because it's good news to those who know that they're filthy, that they're ruined, that they're broken, that they're hungry, that God himself loves them and welcomes them to his table. We see that in Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, after Peter has preached his sermon, delivered the invitation, which has some very sharp edges to it, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? These people are responding faithfully to the invitation. They hear God's call to them, as uncomfortable as it is sometimes. And the response isn't defensiveness. It's not ignoring it. It's not, I'm going to continue on with work their question is what shall we do what now peter's response in verse 38 again it's the message of jesus repent turn away from your sins renounce them stop living according to your values to the world's values live according to the kingdom's values repent be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins we see here in particular in acts 2 different ways that we ought to faithfully respond to the invitation it's really it's twofold first it's repentance and belief we're called to not only turn away from our old ways of living that's repentance but to actively hold on to to believe to bank our whole lives to trust in the words of jesus his words of promise for us this is what we're doing in worship this is what we're doing every week we faithfully respond to god's invitation through both repentance and faith and belief. See, we're apt to forget week to week how we're supposed to respond to God. I think that's, that reading from 1 Timothy was very helpful. Who are the kinds of people that should approach God? Well, it's, it's the filthy, it's the unclean, it's those who need forgiveness. Because God is infinite, he's holy, he's other, he's creator, and because I'm finite, I'm ordinary, I'm a creation, how am I supposed to interact with this God? Uh, how do I approach him? What do I say? What do I do? We sometimes are lulled into this thinking that God is sort of like the gods of the world or, or, uh, or those with power and prestige around us. We'll be accepted by him so long as we can impress him. Like if I can show him how amazing I am, perhaps I can, I can earn an audience with him, be welcomed by him. But what do we do in response to God's word? What's one of the first things that we do together uh, as a church? We kneel. We admit our faults. We, we entrust ourselves to the good news and forgiveness in Christ. We remember together that we're loved and accepted by God, not because we're great people, but because Jesus has produced and accomplished for us what we couldn't accomplish on our own. If you've been here long enough, you know that there's a lot of repetition week to week in our services. Hopefully that doesn't cause you to sleep. I don't know if you've wondered why we keep this particular order of worship or this liturgy. Our order of service helps us to remember. Often we don't need new information. We just need to be reminded of the same thing over and over again so it can seep into our bones, into our soul. We need to remember to learn over and over again, both individually and corporately, how we are to respond to God's invitation because it never changes. Whether you're brand new to the Christian faith or you are on your last legs, the final years of a life of faith in Christ, 
This is what we do to respond. We hide ourselves in Christ. We turn away from our sin and ourselves, and we turn to him instead. So to respond faithfully to God's invitation to come to him means admitting weakness and sin and then entrusting ourselves to Christ, both repentance and belief. A second part of this is it's receiving and it's administering the waters of baptism. Acts 2 makes that very clear. It's repentance and it's baptism. We're called to respond to God's invitation by being baptized and by baptizing others. You can think of it this way. Before you go to the feast, you have to wash up. Before you go to the feast, you have to wash up. In Matthew 28, Jesus sends his disciples out with this explicitly. You are to go out to all nations to make disciples and you are to baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in Acts 2, we see the disciples doing exactly that. They're going out baptizing the nations. Baptism is the doorway into the feast. It's the invitation of God that we get to wear all the time so that we never forget that we belong. It's a physical sign that God places on his called people to objectively show God's gracious decision to call us out of the world and into the church. It's Christ claiming us for himself and marking us out as his own. Baptism isn't a merit badge. It's not a sign of our dedication, our seriousness to follow Jesus. It's not a sign of our maturity or the depth of our faith. Jesus tells us actually that we can never get into the kingdom unless we become like little children. And so as one author puts it somewhat provocatively, says all baptisms are infant baptisms. Because the only appropriate response to Christ is by coming to him as a little child, by receiving resting, relying on what he provides for us. When adults, when we baptize adults or the children of believers, uh, they're beginning this life under Christ. They're being called through the waters of baptism to a life of faithfully responding to God's invitation to them with faith, with repentance, with trust as little children. So what does this mean? What does all this mean to our worship at Christ Church Halifax about responding faithfully? Well, again, it's just baked into the order of our worship. We're not here as passive participants. We're not just here to listen to the invitation. We are called to respond, to participate. If you ever wonder, man, do, do, I, do I have to stand again? <laughs> do I have to kneel? Do I have to raise my hand? I feel a little uncomfortable doing this. Do I have to sing? Do I have to gladly respond when Mike tells me to, like a, like a trained seal? <laughs> Can't I just observe? Can I just sit in the back and just watch this thing going on? No. <laughs> You can't. Well, I mean, I'm not going to stop you, but it's not worship if you're not responding. Everything we do on Sunday, we do together. We sing, we read, we pray, we confess our sins, we hear God's word and preaching. We're doing this all as a response to God's initiative and actions. He initiates, but he commands that we faithfully respond to it. We're to respond either faithfully or unfaithfully. There's, there, it's one or the other. So what are we doing in worship? What are we doing in worship? Well, first, we're, faithfully we're, we're hearing God's invitation. Second, we respond faithfully. Third part, final part, we feast. We feast together. Uh, this is how the pastor and theologian Peter Lightheart describes the mission of the church. He says it this way. This is what we do. Set up God's table. Invite folks to dinner. Make sure they wash up. Teach them how to eat together. This is what we're doing in worship. Set up God's table, invite folks to dinner, make sure they wash up, teach them how to eat together. 
You can see this in the variety of readings that we did this morning. Whether And, and there's lots of other stories of, of people being invited to a feast. This, you can find this in the, in the story of the prodigal son, where at the end it ends with a great feast, a great banquet. Uh, the wedding feast that you see in Matthew 22. Um, the devotion to sharing meals together that you find in the book of Acts. Uh, the final... Uh, ultimate wedding supper of the lamb that we're told that we'll all gather to uh, in the book of revelation that we actually sang about in one of our songs this morning god's great goal in history is to bring all of his children together for a family meal table fellowship with others and with god is the goal of our worship in acts 2 those who respond uh, are brought into the church community through baptism and they become dedicated to several practices, but one of it is by sharing a common meal together. Uh, they break bread. There in verse 42. It's, it's most likely referring to the Lord's Supper, to communion, which we'll, which we'll participate in together uh, in a moment. But all of these people who were formerly enemies of Jesus, probably enemies to one another, they are now in each other's homes, sharing meals together. Acts 2 goes on to describe this unity that they enjoyed together. I'll read it for you. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There's deep love and communion with each other that comes when we love Christ. I don't know if you've ever had like a tense Thanksgiving meal with your family. Uh, maybe your home has some dysfunction or in your broader family tree there's trouble. And so this idea... Uh, of being with other Christians in this type of close communion um, with other sinners around a table forever. It's somewhat daunting. Like, you know, uh, tall fences make good neighbors. Maybe we should just keep a little distance from one another. Jesus summarizes, though, the entirety of the biblical uh, ethical teaching as loving God and loving your neighbor. But this is a way we could, we could paraphrase that if we're, if we're so if you'd indulge me, is that Christian ethics is about learning how to eat together. Christian ethics is about learning how to eat together, how to share a meal with God and with your neighbors. When I'm preaching, uh, when, we're, when we're reading through the various attitudes and behaviors that the New Testament uh, tells us to practice, humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, what are we doing? We're learning heavenly table manners. We're learning how to sit with each other at a meal, to enjoy each other, to love each other. This is a reminder that worship is never an individually packed spiritual lunch for you to enjoy in the peace and privacy of your own home. It is by its very nature a shared meal with other people. People. It's a time where together we're going to Jesus and we're learning to eat with him and with each other. You cannot fully worship on your own. So that's what we're doing in worship. What are we doing in worship? We are hearing God's invitation. We're responding faithfully and we're feasting together. Let's end here. This promised feast is most visibly, most obviously expressed during one point in our worship service, which is as we approach the Lord's Supper. As I often say before we begin the Lord's Supper is that it's the family meal of Christianity. When we're approaching this table together, we're doing what we will do forever, celebrating and enjoying all the benefits that Christ Jesus has won for us. And we're doing so in the presence of our brothers and sisters who have also been baptized and brought to this table. The great meal that we will enjoy now and forever is all about Jesus. 
It is about Jesus's broken body for us. It is about Jesus's shed blood for our sin and for our salvation. Listen, listen here. The invitation for Sunday, for the Sunday meal, it goes out every week. Will you respond faithfully to it now? Will you come, you who are invited, will you come with repentance and faith to the table of Christ alongside other sinners? Or will you say, no thanks, I'm not interested, I'm too busy. Listen, you are invited, everyone is invited, so come, bring your sin, bring your shame, give them to Christ, be cleansed, be washed, and come. Because what are we doing? What are we doing when we worship? It's pretty simple. We set up God's table, invite folks to dinner, make sure they wash up, teach them how to eat together. So now may you who are hungry and weary hear God's invitation made to you. May it sound like good news. May you become an inviter, someone who, like God himself, seeks out others and welcomes them who are far away. May God give you both courage and opportunity as you faithfully deliver his invitation found in his word. May you respond faithfully to God's invitation, living a life of repentance and belief, trusting every word that God has spoken to you, that he will make good on every promise he's made. May you make peace with your brothers and sisters in this church as you enjoy the family meal. And may you come to the meal to this bread and wine every week in worship to gladly receive Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we hear your voice and we recognize that often we do not respond faithfully. God, you are not silent. You speak to us in your word. You speak to us through, through worship, through messengers that you have sent. God, give us ears to hear these great promises that you would give us faith now as we approach the table uh, to understand the great gift the great blessing that we've received help us to come to this table with joy may we enjoy the feast today we ask that in christ's name amen